Hey there, and welcome to another episode of JavaScript Jabber. This week on our panel, we have AJ O'Neill. Yo, 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 coming at you live from happiness. Dan Shapir. <laughs> hey, from Tel Aviv. I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. We have two special guests this week. We have Tracy Lee. Hello, thank you for having me. Yeah, welcome back. We also have Adam Barrett. Hey, everybody from Regina, Saskatchewan, way up in Canada. Oh, yeah. I guess I should say I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. Come yeah. visit me. <laughs> well, I've been to one of those two places, and it's not Saskatchewan. <laughs> um, do you, Tracy, you've been on the show before. But do you want to introduce yourself? Just remind people who you are, and then we'll let Adam let people know who sure. he is. Sure. Sure. My name's Tracy. You can follow me on Twitter at Lady Leeds. Um, I love JavaScript and I love everything community. So if you uh, if you ever want to chat, let me know. Um, I'm CEO of a company called Vistat Labs, and we are a JavaScript consultancy. So love doing all the all things JavaScript. Um, also on the ArcGIS core team, Google Developer Expert, GitHub Star, and you can just find me everywhere. So. And I'm so happy to be here again. I feel like I haven't done JavaScript Jabber for like, I don't know, maybe a year or so? Been a second. I think it's been longer, I think. Maybe it's been longer, yeah. I need to bug you more, Chuck. That's right. Hey. You're always welcome. <laughs> All right, Adam. Well, this is my first time here. I'm super excited to be here. Um, I'm Adam L. Barrett. Uh, you can find me at Adam L. Barrett at, you know, or at Adam L. Barrett on Twitter or, or Big AB at Tech techhub.social now because I'm totally into the Fediverse. Um, uh, and yeah, I am a uh, developer consultant at this.labs and I am just really excited about JavaScript and uh, today we're going to be talking about Svelte and SvelteKit. Right. And uh, yeah, just to kind of get things going, we have talked about Svelte on the show before, but it's been a while. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering, you said, and I, I, I like getting into like what it is, but you said as we were preparing to get on that now is like the perfect time to get in and start uh, adopting. And so I was kind of hoping that you could give people kind of the elevator pitch as to why that is. And then we can start talking about what Svelte is and how that all works. Absolutely. So um, Svelte and Svelte Kit are, are basically, you know, just for anybody who doesn't know, Svelte is a component library where it allows you to build web component or components in for the web sorry um uh, and it you know is very html focused it's uh you know uh, lots of javascript it's got its own reactivity model it's very cool and it's very popular people really like svelte and svelte kit is kind of their answer to like how to build apps so if you were thinking about react you know you'd have react and there's like Next.js, or if you're into view there's like nuxt um and and so svelte kit is kind of the the Parallel to that, SvelteKit is gives you things like server-side rendering, routing, you know, forms, and uh, how to deploy to, to different places, and that sort of gives you that full ability to make, write full apps with Svelte. Um, and and as I was saying, right now is like the best time for like a company or an individual to try and get into it, because in December they released SvelteKit 1.0. And as felt, Kit has been in a real state of flux for the last few years. In 2019, I worked with a company and we, we delivered a Svelte Kit app. And it has changed so much since then. But now with their 1.0 release, they've kind of like stabilized the API. This is what it's going to be like for a while. And it's fantastic. Um, and so with that, now, if somebody wants to get into Svelte, they want to get into like learning how 
to build apps uh, the svelte way or whatever. Now is sort of the time. And I think personally, it's probably better. It, it takes all the best things from React and Vue and Angular, and it sort of combines them into this one super framework that I think is probably one of the best ways to, to build apps now. Just and to clarify, uh, SvelteKit is what uh, many people refer to as a meta framework, right? Like yeah. uh, the framework built on top of a framework. And in this case, it's built on top of uh, Svelte, like you said, like Next.js is built on top of React. Interestingly, by the way, uh, first time I'm hearing that term in the uh, uh, state of JS survey, they actually decided to call these rendering frameworks, probably because they're also often used to provide SSR capabilities. And I'm guessing SvelteKit does that as well. It does indeed. Yes. Actually, and it offers, you know, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, like a lot of them too, it offers sort of like different deployment methods. So there is, you know, SSR or server-side rendering, but they also have a way to sort of export a completely static page uh, as well as, you know, um, static backed by, uh, uh, you know, functions as a service kind of thing too. As well. What's known as uh, SSG, right? Static site generation often yeah. associated I mean, that's... with the gem stack. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. I just think that's so interesting, right? It's like, I feel like when Svelte first came out, you know, the trend was like, everything's so small and it's so teeny and React is so small and it's just a little library and there's no framework. <laughs> and then like all of a sudden now it's like, oh, meta frameworks are the hottest thing in the world. And, you know, I mean, it's true, right? Because I mean, everybody's like now needs a meta framework to be able to function in life. Hello. Did you not know Angular was there? Just kidding. But <laughs> you like you um, now it's like, you know, now that now that there's better tooling in the community. Right. I mean, I remember trying Svelkit back back in the day and it's like, you know, you, you, you kind of go down this path and the documentation isn't good enough. And then you just get to a point you're like, okay, I can't do anything with this. Versus like now with Svelkit, you know, you just, you know, type in a few things in the command line and then you're done and you're set up and everything feels good and like you're off and running. I love the faces that AJ made when you said like you've got to have a meta framework in order to build a web, <laughs> a web app or a website. AJ, you're just a few years behind. That's the trend now. You got to do it. No? <laughs> you sound good in youth, AJ. Yeah, your microphone is not working. But... No, I'm thinking that AJ is like I was saying... Mute. I was muted. Yeah, you're, you're okay. thinking probably Notepad++ and I just create my HTML and CSS and JavaScript files, upload them via FTP and I'm good to go. Then just use Svelte. No Svelte kit needed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that is actually kind of like one of the things I love about Svelte and Svelte kit in general, but is like, it reminds me very much of exactly kind of what you said. It's like, I kind of open up these files. I, I put some, some HTML in there. I throw in like a style tag and a script tag. You know, it's these one, one file template component sort of things. And, uh, everything just sort of makes real sense. It's like local, you had some classes, those happen to be like, you know, they'll be compiled in the background to have uh, isolation. So your styles, you know, if you style a P because it's the only P in this component, it's only going to style that one, which is great. It's not going to style all the mm -hmm. children P or all the P in the entire app. Um, and it just, 
it, it's like being able to go back to the old, you know, oh, let's open up Notepad and just code some HTML, except you get all the benefits of like modern development as well, including like, oh yeah, componentizing things and pulling out little pieces of it, like partials and props and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's really I, good. I totally agree that that in, in indeed one of the things that I, I especially like about Svelte and, and I have to say up front that while I've played with Svelte, I've not yet actually used it as part of a significant production-based uh, uh, application or deployment or whatever. So I can't really speak to how it, using Svelte at large feels like. But from what I've played with it and from what I've seen, I, I really like the fact that, like you said, that when you use Svelte, and, and I'm not talking about the UX, I'm talking about the DX, the, the developer experience, is very much like, feels like, you know, kind of how the web's supposed to be. Like you're, you're building files that contain HTML and CSS and JavaScript, and it's not like some sort of a mishmash of, uh, of the HTML into JavaScript like JSX sort of is. Mm -hmm. uh, um, and, and it feels very webby in, in this regard. And, and yeah, that's definitely something that I really like about Svelte. Yeah. And I think it really helps like with adoption because, you know, like I was saying, this company that I worked for in 2019, they actually found it easier to hire people for two reasons. One, Svelte was like, hey, it's one of the new hotness people are interested in. So they had experienced devs who literally wanted to come work for them because they were using Svelte. But also they, they, they sort of made a habit of hiring like new people right out of university. And they were really easy to get up to speed because they already, you know, in their classes or whatever, they learned HTML, they learned JavaScript and they learned CSS. And that's all they needed to start building effectively in Svelte, right? It was just HTML, JavaScript, and CSS. And then like SvelteKit like goes even further on sort of this thing. There's a lot of stuff in SvelteKit that is just the web. You know, they're just using like, for example, the way they deal with forms in SvelteKit is you basically use like, you know, multi-part form data. You post that like a regular old form to the like, you know, SvelteKit uh, loader or actions, sorry, um, actions. And then they like handle it and they give you a form data object which is like something you can look up on mdn it's like a, a regular web form data object and you start doing your stuff with that and then they add this like you know oh but this enhancement layer that just enhances that and then puts that all back into like javascript with json responses and stuff and sort of does it all for you so you code like you're just coding an old web format uh, sorry an old web web form but in the end you get this you know modern awesome easy to use develop uh, user experience to give credit where credit is due, I, I think that the uh, meta framework that kind of innovated that approach of like going back to basics on stuff like forms and, and links and stuff like that was actually um, a remix uh, in, in, this, in the context of, uh, of React. But uh, I am happy to see more and more meta frameworks kind of, uh, call it adopt, kind of copy, I don't care. Uh, take this approach and and use it, and and one of the benefits, like you said, is the fact that um, you treat forms the same way that you would have. Well, if if you be, had been using PHP, that you literally post back the form response to the endpoint and it handles it. Only it's smart enough so that if there is no JavaScript, that then it does in fact work like a PHP with a, a whole like page transition but if you do have javascript if it's working as an spa then it all happens within 
the context of that same loaded JavaScript, you don't need to have that uh, page transition. Yeah. And I don't think Svelte or SvelteKit, I don't think the people involved are even like trying to hide the fact that, yeah, they take the best ideas from everybody else because they think that's great. You know, Remix had all this like, oh, yeah, just using regular responses, regular, uh, you know, form data. And I think Svelte was like, yeah, that's a really good idea. We can do that. And then Svelte's kind of like, our Svelte kits are sort of particularly, well, both actually, um, able to do this because they have that compile step. So both Svelte and SvelteKit follow the idea that they decouple the author experience from like the user uh, deployed thing that you're making. So like in Svelte, authoring your component is, is, is not, it's one thing and then you compile it down to this other component that isn't the same. You know, it's different. It's built specifically purpose. And same with SvelteKit. You have these adapters that kind of like take the app you've authored and they build it to a certain use case. So you might be building it to a node app, or maybe you're building it to specifically deploy on Netlify, or you're you're building it at a, at maybe as an SBA, but the authorship stays the same. And it kind of gives that advantage of, if there's like really cool ideas, like right now, you know, Quick is very popular. It's got this amazing, um, I don't know what you call it, but it, where no JavaScript is loaded until you like do something that requires it. And then it loads Resumability, it loads they call it. Yeah, it's part of the resumability thing for sure. Um, and and if that works out really well, like I think Quick is going to pioneer that. And as, if that works out really well, I don't think there's anything like theoretically Svelte could just do that in the compiler and not change the authorship experience of how Svelte is done and just start doing that, in, you know, in the compiled output. That's, you know, that, theoretically. A, I don't know if that's a plan or anything, but it's a possibility. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, dis- uh, discussion. To be honest, I'm not sufficiently familiar with the internals of, of Svelte, certainly to know whether or not that would necessitate any changes to the Svelte syntax or anything. But undoubtedly, the fact that it's compiled um, gives it a lot of power. And, and maybe it's worthwhile discussing that a little bit because we've we've kind of touched on that, um, that, that yeah. Svelte, unlike React or unlike Vue, or certainly unlike Angular, is a compiled, is actually is more a compiler than it is a framework. Um, maybe that's something you guys can elaborate on. Before before we go there, I just want to ask my uh, dumb question that's been rattling around in my head for a minute. What's the difference between a meta framework and a framework? That's a really good question because I, you know, I wonder if that's why they started calling it render frameworks because it's like, what does meta framework really mean? At what point? Well, is I think it... It may, maybe it was because everything like these meta framework ideas were kind of started in the React community. I feel like. So it's like, oh, well, React is its own library framework, but we're building a meta framework to kind of provide all the stuff that React doesn't give us so we can be more productive, et cetera, et cetera. So then all of a sudden you see like, you know, um, Redwood and Blitz and mm-hmm. Next and Remix. So they couldn't call it Gatsby, a framework. Yeah. Astro now. Uh, but I was amused that you kind of referred to the Angular people saying, hey, we had this from day one. <laughs> <laughs> but with Angular, it wasn't a meta framework. No, right? yeah. It no. was just yeah. that the Angular itself was so opinionated. But uh, yeah, but yeah I, I definitely agree with Chuck that it's it's worse to have a discussion about where, where the differences are, and particularly with, with Svelte, where Svelte ends and SvelteKit begins or vice versa. Yeah, I, so I just want to, I guess, I guess the idea I'm getting then between like a framework and a meta framework is that like Angular, for example, it's a framework, batteries included, right? It it does mm-hmm. all the things for you where, yeah, React was more or less this simple, 
you know, view building rendering library for lack of a better way of explaining it. And then you had all these other things that got jammed onto it. And so that's the meta framework, I guess, is the idea that you're bringing in all these other possibly third party things to do what a framework would do for you on its own if they built it all out. But maybe that's why in state of JS, they like, they didn't call it a meta framework because it's actually a, like just a, like it's not built on top of React, right? So it's like the new, new. What's not built on top of React? (laughs) Or isn't, self's not built on top of React. No, 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 it's not. Yeah, so. Next is. Next and and, right. and and Remix are. Yeah, but the, the difference, I guess, is that if you're looking at, oh, they do have front-end frameworks and rendering frameworks. I have I have it up because we were talking about it earlier. Um, but it's, how do I put it? It's, they, they solve some of the same problems. And so I can kind of see people approaching, you know, and looking at React versus Felt versus you know Vue, which is more frameworky versus Angular, which is totally framework. So I can I can give my two cents on on, and it's a short explanation. From my perspective, those meta frameworks or rendering frameworks really addressed two issues that were kind of lacking in libraries like, and in, in particular in a library such as as React, and. And at least one of them is actually available out of the box in Angular. And these two things that are lacking are uh, routing or routing, whatever you decide to call it. So React out of the box does not have uh, um, routing capabilities built in. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you you did have stuff like uh, React Router, which you could use on top of uh, on top of React, but it wasn't like included. Unlike Angular, which had like routing baked in, like it yes. was one of its core things. Uh, so that's one thing that was kind of lacking in in a library such as React. And the other thing is um, the um, server side rendering or or static side generation. Uh, the fact that if you were just using using React out of the box, you generally would build something that's client-side rendered. And uh, mm-hmm. if you really want good startup performance and also, let, let's say, be more friendly towards SEO, then you do want your initial contact to be delivered in the HTML. That's something that Angular actually didn't have, and I, still, and I think that Angular still doesn't have uh, to this day. But uh, React technically supported it from day one, but practically it was incredibly hard to do by yourself. So uh, Next.js kind of, or or before Next, others like Gatsby, I think, kind of provided a box solution that provided both of these capabilities on top of React. They made it easy to create, to, to specify the routing, and they also provided um, like a deployment mechanism that created either server-side rendering or static-side generation or both. Now, right. you know, that's What's my that? take on it. Maybe, I don't know if you agree yeah. or disagree. I, I got you. So when you're talking about the meta framework or the rendering framework, you're talking about SvelteKit as opposed to Svelte. That's correct. Okay. And so SvelteKit is all of the other stuff on top of Svelte that lets you... Yeah, I mean, specifically... say it's like create React app-ish almost? Like, yeah. but more uh, closer to next, included. For sure. 
Yeah. Yeah. Closer to the right. next for sure. Where it basically, you know, the main things it offers are static, like Dan said, uh, static site rendering or static server rendering, sorry, uh, server rendering, um, routing, uh, handling of forms and, uh, deployments deployments to like oh this is gonna like i said mm-hmm. deploy to a node app or this is gonna deploy to netflyer right. yeah i think i think you're absolutely correct adam that the point that i was kind of skipping over is deployment because originally deployment used to be fairly straightforward but then along came companies <laughs> well it basically because, along came all the companies who want to make money exactly because deployment <laughs> used to mean just spin up a you know run a node server on on, dig, on yeah. digital ocean or something like that and that's your deployment and these days you've got serverless and you've got edge function and you've got cdns and and on and on and on containers and, and kubernetes containers and whatnot and and it makes deployment uh you know more sophisticated so if anybody <laughs> can automate the process for you well, let's put it this way. That's how uh, Vercel and Netlify want to make their money, I think. <laughs> For sure. I think yeah. it's funny because you said uh, confuse, confusing and as sophisticated. <laughs> well, the more confusing it is, the more sophisticated it is because nobody understands it. Yeah. Which, by the way, you can do server-side rendering with Angular with Angular Universal. Just have to say yeah. that too. Right. <laughs> but is that like, would you consider that like, the same as React Router, where it's uh, it exists and it's really popular, but is it really part of the framework? I don't actually yeah. know the answer to that. Um, uh, but yeah, and I think a lot of the <laughs> you know deployment stuff came from the fact that the front end has kind of like creeped a little a little closer to the back end. You know, it used to be very mm-hmm. much like oh, the front end makes the the website, the SBA, and the back end deals with like all the APIs. And then you know it, with popularity of like all these node environments and runtimes uh like node and dino and whatever and and uh, serverless functions um it's kind of like oh but it, it we can overcome a lot of the difficulties that spas gave us by just moving to like a layer with node and the you know client side so we've got both sort of, sort of this front end that is the back ends ish and then front end kind of combined together and i think that has sort of led to this like oh yeah server-side rendering is important and and you know you know maybe even streaming responses is important and uh that's kind of where we get into this new well new modern web development i think i think the other thing that comes out of that is that it's it's not just that we get these features and we get these you know functionalities that come out of it but in a lot of cases your simpler apps you don't need any of it right and but we keep hearing about it and so we think we do right instead of approaching it from the standpoint of wow. oh now i have this problem and so now i'm going to look at the solution right where you know whether it's you know search engine bots or speed or whatever that you're looking at i think in a lot of cases just going with the the fundamentals will get you a long long way yeah but i could argue chuck that once you've you've moved from MPA or multi-page application to a single-page application, you've kind of left the simplicity and the fundamentals behind anyway. Fair. Uh, so if we really just wanted it, the simplicity and, and stuff like that, we would have stuck with PHP yeah. or whatever, or, or I don't know, Ruby on Rails or, what, or you know, whatever, whatever is your poison. But, or, or these days with Fresh and Dino. But um, how is that simpler? That never what multi-page <laughs> applications? How is that simpler? Because it's just yeah, the I, web. I, how how is all the complexity of? I, I mean, PHP is a nightmare. Okay, let's put that one aside. Ruby on <laughs> how 
<laughs> how is having all of that complexity in a different place simpler? You have all of the complexity plus more because not only do you have to do all the, the JavaScript stuff, you have to do all the Ruby stuff. Well, but okay. It, I, you know, it's an interesting but, discussion. And and by the way, we had an interesting conversation of, about this with, with Kent when he was on the podcast uh-huh. a couple of episodes back. So I, I don't think it's, it's worthwhile to rehash that. Uh, I will say that generally speaking, MPA is a simpler model. Uh, first of all, certainly for front-end uh, developers mm-hmm. because it shifts all the effort to the back-end developers. <laughs> but uh, beyond that, it's just the way that the web was intent- originally built to work. Um, and, and again, going back to, to the conversation about Svelte, even though Svelte is essentially a front-end framework, one of the things that I really like about it is that the developer experience that it provides is very similar to the original um, uh, tenants of the web, of like the, the three pillars of JavaScript, CSS, and HTML, or put it differently, HTML, CSS, and JavaScript probably the order we should put them in and and svelte is very much this way and the compiler um gives us good ux around this dx which brings me full circle to that question that i start that i had chuck before we started mm-hmm. your conversation about uh, meta frameworks sorry, versus frameworks. So sorry. <laughs> <laughs> about uh what what does it mean that Svelte has a compiler versus other frameworks like React that don't. And I, I think the main thing is exactly what you said, is you it, it allows Svelte Kit and Svelte to deliver a really great developer experience, DX, but not compromise on the user experience. And that, I think, is the most important part because there's a lot of things that are like, oh, it's great DX, but if it's not giving you the best user experience, well, it, you know, you yeah, probably want to err on the side of the user. But with, with the compiler approach, you know, and, and of course there's limitations to this, and of course there's, there's exceptions and caveats and whatnot, but generally you can, you can have a great developer experience without compromising the user experience. And that, I think, is the main benefit of the compiler approach. So basically, if I take, uh, if I build a component using Svelte, let's put SvelteKit aside for a second. And per my sure. understanding, after I run it through the compiler, I basically just have some JavaScript, HTML, and CSS, and I don't actually need, the, at least as far as I know, I, I, I hardly need a Svelte runtime. Uh, effectively, all the code that I've written has been compiled into the optimal JavaScript, HTML, and CSS to implement my specified use case. Yeah, I would say that's like the theoretical limit that maybe isn't quite reached. There is a runtime. It's very small, but it does exist. Um, and there is, you know, it maybe isn't compiling to the most optimal code. Like one, uh, one thing, you know, just to compare frameworks for a second, um, uh, Solid has very fine-grained reactivity. It has this like, oh, you know, when I update this property, it's only going to update the text in this element kind of thing. SvelteKit kind of has a, you know, closer to React approach where each component is going to re-render when something changes. So it's not as fine-grained as, say, Solid, but it is still very effective. So it's it's maybe not, I just wanted to say it's not optimal, um, but it could be. And that's the thing. Like, and, and right now, there's theoretically nothing other than time and effort to stop somebody from going, oh, well, we want that exact kind of uh, 
uh, fine-grained reactivity in Svelte too, so we can do it and not even change the authorship experience, right? We could not even change how you write your component, but we could just have it. So like, oh yeah, when it does compile, it is more optimal that way. But I would say right now it's not necessarily optimal, but it's very, very good. Hmm. And and you brought up the other point, which again, I assume that most of our listeners have React experience because you know React is the de facto king of the hill at this point in time. Mm-hmm. They're kind of familiar with this render function, which returns uh, HTML in the form of JSX. That's not the way that uh, that uh, Svelte works. You kind of alluded to that. Uh, it, it's, it's reactive. It doesn't use a VDOM. Can, can you explain a little bit about how you kind of create interactivity in a Svelte component? Yeah, so one of the most interesting things about Svelte is its reactivity model. And the idea there is um, in a Svelte component, and, and that's kind of an important distinction. The reactivity of Svelte only works in a Svelte component. Other than that, it sort of relies on a, uh, these things called stores, which are Svelte stores, which are very much like um, you know, observables or behavior subjects, if you're familiar with that, um, or very much like signals, actually. Very similar, um, if you're familiar with solid stuff. But anyway, um, inside the spell component, though, if you have a variable and you change that variable, uh, like by reassigning it, sorry, if you reassign that variable, the compiler knows like, hey, we've got something that has changed. We should re- re-render this component. And you don't really write anything to do with that. You don't have to like check anything. You just reassign your variable. So you could write a variable, give it a value zero, have a, a handler that's like, hey, when clicks increase, you know, uh, count by one or count equals count plus one, maybe even. And now that'll just work. And suddenly you'll click the button, the handler will run, and now your component will re-render with one and two and three. and there's also a special syntax that Svelte gives you to to do more complex things. You can do a block of code um, by using, it's actually sort of, you know, this is sort of maybe already well known, but you, they've kind of hijacked what's called labels in JavaScript. Uh, so so technically Svelte is its own language because it's actually overwriting JavaScript. This is very, very JavaScript-like. Um, but they've hijacked labels. So if you do a dollar sign and a colon and then either a block or just a statement, that will be reactive so anything if it reads from another variable that changes or if anything in there changes like if you're reading from a store or something it'll be like oh something changed here now so i'm going to re-render this whole component again so you get this reactivity that's like really easy and feels really a lot like javascript just regular old javascript uh within these components and you don't have to write sort of anything special so you've kind of brought up what's on one hand i would would be my biggest compliment to to svelte and on the other hand, it's also my greatest criticism of it, that uh, on the compliment side, it sometimes feel to me, it feels to me like um, Svelte feels like how the component model of the web should have been, uh, that in an ideal world, I could have taken um, uh, Rich Harris, sent him back in time to 1995, put him next to Brendan Eich, and uh, and have them create Svelte as the DOM and the web rather than what Brendan Eich did in those 10 days of glory. So that's like my, and, and hopefully somebody like uh, Alex Russell, who's really into web components, won't kill me for saying this, but I really do think that Svelte feels like how componentization on the web should have been. 
Um, and you touched on the fact, for example, that uh, uh, CSS is scoped without all the shadow DOM monkey business and all the reactivity stuff is great. And uh, the putting the components together and, and like the block of HTML and, and JavaScript and CSS, like going together in the Svelte files is, is awesome. My criticism is that the fact that this isn't the case. I mean, you know, we can't send Rich Harris back in time. And consequently, <laughs> we have something that looks very much like the web, but isn't. And to an extent, almost deceptively so. So like you said, it feels very much like JavaScript. It looks very much like JavaScript, but it isn't really JavaScript. Uh, like you said, variables in, in Svelte are reactive. So you use the let keyword, which means one thing in JavaScript, but means something totally different in Svelte, because in Svelte, when you define a variable with let, you're actually creating something reactive, which is definitely not the case in JavaScript. Likewise, as, as we said, CSS in Svelte looks very much like regular CSS, but is wholly scoped within a component, which definitely isn't, and intentionally so. It isn't scoped within the browser. So my criticism of Svelte is that, the fact that it's almost deceptive in the way that it kind of subverts some of the uh, key technologies of the web, as it were. Maybe I'm I, seeing it differently than I do. I don't know. No, I, I mean, I agree. I, I do find, though, that it's almost like a theoretical um, problem because I find in practice, even with new people and stuff, it, it becomes really apparent because it's always in a .svelte file. This isn't just like, oh, you write your JavaScript in a JavaScript file and it like does the reactivity there. Because all these special behaviors, this, the scoping of CSS, the reactivity of the JavaScript variables and stuff only happens in a .svelte file. And as much as it doesn't seem like, oh, is that a big deal? I really do feel like that really helped solidify the fact that this is a Svelte thing only, not a, you know, like you're not, think you're writing JavaScript and then you write something somewhere else and it doesn't work. Especially when you have to drop like, into regular JavaScript. So you import regular, you know, TypeScript or JavaScript files. And let's say you're writing a store. Well, in, in Svelte components, you have like some special short syntax for like getting the values out of stores and subscribing to them. But outside of that, if you're in a regular TS file or a JavaScript file, you have to like write the whole thing yourself. You have to write dot subscribe and pass the callback. You have to write dot set and pass it something. And I think that alone helps people overcome this like, oh, yeah, it's deceptively close, but it's not quite right, is it? It's like, yeah, but it's in a Svelte component file, so it's okay. Like, I get that difference. I understand. By the way, as a well, technicality... Oh, sorry, go for it, AJ. That's what people are used to at this point anyway that are on the front end, because people that are on the front end probably have never programmed in JavaScript before, right? Because they're using React or they're using one of these things, so... I appreciate that you acknowledge that it is a separate language when you fundamentally change the language features because yeah, so many but... times people people say, oh, no, no, it's just JavaScript, but it's not. And, yeah, but... and, so, and, and I, I think they're pretty but explicit Svelte about it too. Like the... it, sorry, I, I, all I want to say is Svelte kind of takes it to an extreme because you're right, for example, that in, in the JSX, for example, is not valid uh, JavaScript, even though some people wish that it were. But still, when you're using React, putting aside the JSX, you're definitely coding in JavaScript. JSX is the only thing that gets compiled away. Uh, 
all the rest of the thing is just is just a library with lots of stuff all over JavaScript. You're not changing the the meaning of let or const or if. They work the same I, way that they did before. You are well, changing semantics without changing syntax. So they're no, still JavaScript. When you, when you uh, yes, but it, it uses hacks that are things that you would never use if you were writing JavaScript in a, uh, if you were trying to write maintainable JavaScript, you wouldn't choose to use hacks that they use. They use hacks to their advantage. They use bugs in the language to their advantage to cause side effect behaviors that if you were to look at it in a normal program, you would say, why would someone ever do this? Because it's React and because there's a transpiler, you can kind of just say, oh, it's hand wavy stuff. But if you you wouldn't write a program that way if you were writing it in JavaScript. It's kind of a philosophical conversation. But anyway, going back to the sure, practical, yeah. uh, Adam, I do have a question. When you're writing in the Svelte files, are you writing mm-hmm. JavaScript or TypeScript or both? Uh, you can write both. Um, I would say the, the uh, you know, if you run Svelte kit, it asks you, do you want to have TypeScript in this or not uh, as you're generating stuff? And all it takes is, so normally you write your JavaScript in a Svelte component in a script uh, tag, just like, you know, HTML script tag. And all you have to do is add lang equals TS, like language equals TS. And now it'll it'll also compile the uh, TypeScript for you. And actually all the, the TypeScript to like JavaScript compilation is actually not even done with Svelte technically. It's actually done with uh, uh, Vite, um, which is kind of interesting. So mm, SvelteKit like... is actually, yeah, the uh, the interesting thing is SvelteKit has managed to work itself, you know, it took a while to get there, but now it's just a Vite plugin, really, to convert Svelte components into nice. the HTML, JavaScript, and CSS that well, Vite is amazing. We're... bundle up and stuff. Yeah, I, I think that, all, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I've, I've seen somewhere that actually all of SvelteKit is kind of like built over Vite. And I think yeah. that Solid Start is built over Vite, and like lots of these meta frameworks are basically, you know, built on using or on top of Vite, and which is kind of awesome, I guess. Yeah, because that's that that's exactly what it is. Such a fast transition. It was just like, okay, now everything is Vite for all maintainers <laughs> right? writing anything. Oh, yeah. but there's some competition coming from yeah. the net, uh, from the Vercel people, right? The, yeah. I mean, did we feel that way with Webpack? Me. I feel like Webpack was also pretty quick to uptick, yeah, it took but over it was like pretty fast too, really yeah. fast. But V seems faster, almost. I think like the, the domination of the market is faster you mean? for some stuff. So I, I think maybe it's because also like um, I feel like what I mean. Correct me if I'm wrong, but like I feel like Webpack was like harder to integrate than Vite. Like Vite just seems like they've got the kind of like developer experience down a little bit better. So, Well, and and I think what what may have helped that was when Webpack came out, it was still kind of wild westy. And I think over the time that Webpack was most popular, people sort of solidified on certain patterns and stuff. And then Vite Mm -hmm. was kind of able to take advantage of that by saying like, hey, we offer the most popular patterns like JSX and TypeScript and whatever out of the box. And then we can also give you a plug-in thing to add more to. So. Well, and that's that's how a lot of the... I mean, we've seen this in the frameworks too, right? You know, it kind of started with Backbone and um, Underscore and, um, you know, and then it kind of, you know, we, we picked up Lodash because Lodash did Underscore, but, you know, it had certain advantages. And, you know, we've, we've kind of 
pick things up from there. And it's like, you know, Backbone kind of keeps track of this stuff and makes this stuff easier, but it'd be nice if we had this engine that did this other thing. And so we end up with, you know, some of the precursors to React and Angular. And then then we got those frameworks, right? And now we're kind of advancing to this next level where, yeah, we have some of these uh, smaller frameworks and then we've got the micro framework or meta framework, sorry, that sit on top of them. And so it's just kind of been this interesting evolution that we've seen uh, play out over and over again. Um, one thing that I kind of want to derail us onto here is I- I'm sure some people are listening to this and you've kind of mentioned that it's it's easy to pick up. It's easy to get started. It's easy to grab this tooling and, and get rolling. Um, but I can imagine we have some folks that are sitting there thinking, I work at a Vue.js shop or an Angular shop or a React shop. And this sounds really interesting, but is this something that I can actually use at work? Or is this going to be more on the hobby projects until I find a company or a project that I can put this in? I think on the consulting side, like we definitely haven't seen like the, uh, you know, it's interesting when Vue, you know, Vue came out, right? Because, you know, I don't know if you all remember, but like, I think it was like, actually, it was the state of JS survey where it was like, whoa, we saw all these people talking about how much they were using Vue and everybody really thought Vue was going to be like the next big thing, whatever. But then when you really see like the uptick from, uh, you know, like just kind of like talking to clients and things like that, you saw Vue kind of being worked on in more greenfield projects. There wasn't too many migrations. I'm not saying there weren't any, but like there weren't as many migration kind of conversations, at least that I was having. Uh, but I think it was felt as well, right? Like you see it kind of, you know, with this like, uh, hey, we want to experiment on something new. We have this internal project or like, hey, we have this Greenfield project. But I don't know. Have you guys seen a lot of people trying to migrate? I My experience is that migrations between frameworks are usually rather far apart. Because, mm-hmm. you know, unless you're kind of forced off of a framework, like people are starting to be forced off of Angular, for example, because I think it's getting difficult to recruit people for mm-hmm. Angular projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It will be a while until people are like forced off of React. So I'm expecting to see other frameworks starting to surface more like uh, Tracy said in greenfield type projects. I do agree with what both Tracy and Adam said, that this is kind of a turning point time for for Svelte because having a meta framework version one that can be considered stable and also under the auspices of Vercel um, increases the, um, um, what, how would I call it? Like the the trust or or the... um, Comfort level. Exactly that I'm willing to put in a framework like that. Like, you know, like, you know, the, the thing about React is it's kind of like that old saying, you know, nobody gets fired for using IBM. Um, so like, you know, I, I, nobody gets fired for choosing React and, and Next. But I, I do think that, that, you know, Svelte is an example of a library that's now can be considered mature enough, stable enough, so that, you know, its benefits can start shining through. Yeah, there's just so many exciting things. And I think it's amazing. I mean, I don't know if you all remember when Evan was like, you know, when, when everybody was really, I mean, everybody's still excited about Vue, but when everyone was really excited about Vue 
And they were kind of comparing and kind of having the same conversation we're having here. But, you know, he was able to take, right, like the great things from React and the great things from Angular and kind of make view into something that he believed was, you know, beneficial. I think same thing with like all these new technologies that are coming out. And it's interesting because, you know, these these kind of like new paradigms or new ways of doing things or just better ergonomics, et cetera, you know, what's the next wave, right? That, that'll be so, so interesting to see, like, is there going to be another contender that comes out soon? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm, I'm I, actually really sorry. excited about some of these options too, because it seems like kind of the React view Angular, you know, they, they were the way to do things for quite a while, right? Yeah. I mean, we kind of saw this rapid succession of frameworks and then it kind of just held there for a while, right? And they were kind of the biggies that were out there. And now we're seeing a lot of the excitement about some of these other frameworks like, you know, Astro and Quick and Svelte and some of these other ones. And then some of the capabilities that are coming out of them are really cool. And so yeah. it's it's exciting to see things move again. So yeah, I don't know if it settles here, but... So, I don't think, I think it'll settle. You're right. Tracy, that a lot, a lot of the Svelte Kit stuff would be just Greenfield mostly right now, and a lot of you know, not a lot of transitions. But I do think that Svelte has a really nice, like when you, if you just wanted to make one component on your page, let's say you had a React app or an Angular app or something, it does have a really nice way to export it so that it's just like a JavaScript function, like a class, and you just like enhance it, or you just call it and pass it an element to like enhance that element with your little Svelte Kit thing. And I think that could get somebody in like a little bit if they were just like, oh, well, we, ju- we just want to try out Svelte on this project. Then you could maybe just make one component, you know, this Svelte kit component, one section of your page and maybe just a few more and then try to add and then eventually go, hey, we should switch to Svelte kit or something. That's my thought. But you're right. I think mostly that's not happening. But I, I, I have I seen a, little a lot easier of, than other ones. I have seen a lot of interesting uh, con- like you like you said initially, like a lot of interesting concept and innovations in SvelteKit in the sense of, like you said, of taking kind of a best-of-breed approach, borrowing from other frameworks. Uh, I really like the way that he, uh, uh, Rich made it easy to specify endpoints for uh, HTTP operations, like for the gets and the posts, and the whole concept of uh, uh, type safety when transferring data between the front end and the back end, which I think is really awesome. I know that there are other projects that are kind of working on it, like TRPC and stuff like that, but to have it kind of baked in to the framework is is really great. Yeah. And even just that concept of the separation in the framework of like, this is server code and this is client code and this is code that'll run on both. Um, it, it makes it really nice because you can do things that maybe you, you you would struggle to do in maybe other frameworks where you'd be like, oh, I'm just going to run my SQL queries right here because I know it's safe and I know it's, you know, I'm not going to leak environment variables to the client or anything like that. Does Svelte have anything like the upcoming React server components? Do you know? Well, I mean, it's, they're, they're kind of like that, but not really in this sense, in the sense that your, your Svelte, uh, your Svelte kit components, your Svelte components will run on the server and then they'll, you know, flush that to the client and then start updating after that on the client. But, um, you can just fetch because you have these loader functions. You can just fetch like wherever you want. You can, you can get data from an API. You can get data directly from a database. You can do that kind of thing like directly in your loader function. 
And you can set it so that this load is only ever going to run on the server just by adding dot server to the file name. It's like a routing thing. Um, or it can be if you're just using like fetch, uh, felt actually gives you this little fetch in a, as a parameter to the load function. And you can just use that and then it'll run the same both places. So it'll like, hey, it'll make the fetch when it needs to on the server, but it'll also as, as you know, maybe state changes and you update it needs to fetch again, it'll fetch again. Or you, you like change routes and come back, it'll like fetch again using the client side fetch on that time. So it's similar but different way of handling that, that kind of server based stuff. But the nice part, which everyone likes about server components is, you can just like, hey, I'm just going to go get stuff right from my database right here, and you can do that as well in in Svelkit. What yeah, do you think? What do you think of Rich's approach of prefixing the Svelkit files with the plus sign? Personally, I think it is fine, um, but it's one of those things that some people are going to hate. <laughs> Um, and I have my editor set up to like always give me like the directory and the file name because I don't want everything to just say plus page, plus page, plus page, plus page. Um, but honestly, I don't like file-based routing at all. But if I had to choose one file-based routing, I would choose Svelkits because it sort of separates those like ideas of, okay, this is server, this is How do you like your spot. routing then? I, I personally, I would like it in a big JSON file, honestly. And, I, and I'm not being facetious. I think like configuring a big JSON file and, and it would be the exact same thing, right? Like you wouldn't have to change anything. But instead of a file called plus page, you would just have like an object and it would be this path and your path could be the key. And then this is your load function that you're going to give it. And this is your, you know, component that you're going to render on that page. It'd be the same thing, except you could have it all in one place. Personally, wouldn't that's my. Create... I know other people would hate that, but yeah, wouldn't that possibly create a maintenance burden, like making sure that uh, whatever you have in the JSON actually <laughs> matches reality? But like, is it different than a file-based one? Like, other than the fact that it's like hidden from view in your in your editor, it's exactly the same, right? Like, if you just use like code code folding and hiding to hide mm. the stuff you don't want to see right now, it's exactly the same. You just have it all <laughs> in one file rather than like in your well, using the file rails does that and I, I like it oh yeah it, it, it's convenient because it's all in one place yeah and you know i i use the uh search function in my ide because yeah some of the you know some of the route files they get real long right and so yeah you, you, you give it some good conventions and you know, well, allow you to make certain assumptions in the way you put it together. And then, yeah, you know, if you're looking for something, you have it there. Everything's and, just yeah. a trend, right? It was yeah. like, remember when everyone was like, uh, it's like, okay, everything should be separated out into their own, you know, files, you know, CSS. And then everyone's like, oh, we're going to do inline CSS. It's going to be so great. And then everyone's like, oh, man, there's so many issues with that. Let's do something different now. So it's <laughs> right? just, you know, it's like, yeah. what month is it? <laughs> yeah well yep. you know yeah, there's always something inconvenient about whatever solution you come up with and so it's like yes. we're gonna solve this one and then you create another you saw, yeah yeah exactly <laughs> exactly trade-offs are which by the way yeah. we created this like um i mean for for me i always uh i don't know i don't know about how you all feel about this but like whenever i'm trying to play with a new technology i'm always like uh is the documentation giving me much oh these like silly little code snippets like whatever so we created this thing called starter.dev which is fully open source but like it gives you these like showcases and kits so we actually built like a github clone in svelte so people can just like look at it and see what like an actual application might look like mm -hmm. but uh anytime i'm stuck on stuff i'm just like let me just poke into there so if yeah. that's helpful you can check it out 
yeah uh give us a link we'll make sure it's in the show notes yeah i i kind of want to move us along just because we're kind of getting toward the end of our time here um let's say that i'm like totally sold on this right and then i i really do <laughs> want to go play with it right but are, are there good resources for for learning svelte and svelte kit yeah i mean um uh, svelte.dev uh the official documentation is great if you want to really get into like you know what are the good podcasts and what's where's the community where's the whatever uh you could check out framework.dev which is uh, admittedly something we maintain but it also it has a bunch of different frameworks on there and it'll give you sort of like oh here's a lot of the popular libraries here's a lot of the popular podcasts and whatever and sort of give you that like oh hey i want to see what's going on in the whole ecosystem not just you know reading from directly from the docs um but the docs that being said svelte.dev and kit.svelte.dev are both really good and and and, and really worth checking yeah. out as well and like on framework.dev, again, there's a lot of technologies in there, but we do have like, um, I think it's just svelte.framework.dev. But if you're like looking for, you know, anything within the ecosystem, like what's the state management library that's popular? What's the this that's popular? What are the different podcasts that, you know, people talk about these things? What are the different blogs? What are the different courses or whatever? Um, that's kind of what we were hoping to do. And also again, 100% open source. So if you're in this Svelte community and you're like, man, I really need a resource for this. Um, you know, you can just go ahead and add it. But on framework.dev, you can actually also compare different libraries. So I don't know about you all, but especially in new technologies. Okay. I feel like this in React, maybe in React land, like I always feel like, oh my God, which is the, which is the, what is the state management library of the uh, of the week? No, okay, I'm being a little facetious there, right? But like, yes, yes, you are a little yeah. bit. <laughs> but, but you know, there's there's a lot of truth in that. Uh, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, that's the fact of life. You know, what's being actively maintained? Is there new stuff coming out? Whatever. Um, the rise and fall of of uh, GraphQL. <laughs> yeah, is there a fall? I'm I'm totally out of date. Has there been a fall of graphics? Well, it's I beginning to fall. I wouldn't say it has fallen. Yeah, it used to be the new hotness, and it isn't anymore. Let's put it this way. At least from what people I'm seeing, people are realizing the error of their ways. They are going back to easy to use, simple. I, I think that GraphQL was it's kind of a of a, like a detour of our conversation. I think it was great for certain things, like if you're grabbing data off of a lot of sources and you need to normalize your data across all of them and making and, and retrieving all of the data is expensive. So you also want to like filter filter it on the server side before providing all the data, then GraphQL was awesome. But then people started trying to use it kind of like for everything, uh, especially with type bindings and stuff like that. And, and to solve all your performance problems. Yeah. If you, don't mind, if you don't mind bundling <laughs> Apollo into everything, uh, whatever it's called. Um, but so, yeah. So, you know, you try to use something for everything and then you get pushback. Let's put it this way. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So, um yeah, I, I, I love this because I went and looked at it. And I'm like, this is cool. Um, it's also very close to something that I've been working on building myself for some of the other communities we have. Um, but you also, I think, have a course or something coming up. Do you want to talk about that for a minute? 
Yeah, so we are going to offer a uh, Svelte and Svelte Kit courses, uh, workshops, I guess is the better way to say that, that people can take. Um, we'll also offer them, uh, you know, video, but we also offer them uh, to companies if they wanted to, like, have a real person come and, and teach the thing or even, like, come in live, mm-hmm. teach it. Um, and, yeah, you can check it out. I, I'm not exactly, they're not up yet, but by the time this podcast airs, maybe they will be. But you can check out uh, this dot dot co or t-h-i-s-d-o-t dot co this dot <laughs> dot co um uh, and uh on there we'll probably have a workshop link and that'll show you where to go so you can learn how to build felt kit apps and how to use yeah. stuff effectively i'm super excited because i feel like you know everybody does you know angular react view courses graphical courses and like we do them too workshops sorry we do them too but um recently we've been starting to invest a lot in kind of like more like, you know, shiny technologies. I don't want to call them new technology, but shiny technology. So Svelte is one of those where I feel like uh, people are excited about. So offering some workshops on that and quick and solid and some of these other ones. Um, we'll see how it goes. By the way, a, relate, a question kind of related to that. You know, one of the benefits of working in React is that because of the community and because of the usage, I know that there are a lot of of components and uh, that I can, or libraries that I can, you know, like pull in and use if I need, I don't know, uh, some sort of grid or whatever. I, I There's a grid that, that works with React. How about Svelte? What's the situation like in the community and around components with Svelte? Yeah, so there is... There's a couple of community, community, communities, but Svelte Society is basically the one winning, I'd say. And there is a lot of stuff available, obviously not to the level of React. React has been around a long time. There's a billion components, but there's definitely a lot of component sharing, a lot of UI libraries, a lot of like you said, like a grid component or a calendar component, a lot of like specific things went off. There's a lot happening, but it's also still, I would say, nowhere near as much as, say, React but definitely available, definitely worth. And you yeah. can go to like Svelte Society. There's a search. You can search for all the components and tools you can use. Um, and it's just and, really exciting, right? To just see like, it's like you have the opportunity to like do so much. I feel like, um, you know, um, XState, for example, has a Svelte one. But also if you go to svelte.framework.dev, you can actually search a bunch of different libraries. There's a material UI for Svelte already. There's Svelte Strap, Bootstrap for Svelte. Uh, there's already a Svelte internationalization library. There's a few Svelte forms libraries as well. I think, I don't know, there's like at least three. But you know, the, the interesting libraries. part too is you probably don't need a lot of them though. Um, this, this is kind of the thing that I found with Svelte development is you don't need as many like pull-in things because it's a lot of it's really easy to just kind of do yourself too. But that being said, there's still a lot available. And again, basically, Svelte leverages the underlying power of the web itself. So, you know, a lot of the things are just available because they're baked into the modern web. Yeah, well, and if you had like a really cool widget or something that you wanted to use, and it was like, I, I well, Svelte has this uh, action thing that you can add to an element. And it's basically an action and it gives you the DOM element and some life cycle things that you can do. And so basically it's this way to be like, I can add anything I want and turn it into a spell component easy. Um, that's a good way. And I see a lot of things like calendar widgets and whatever, and a lot of things like that. That's a way to like easily hook into the spell component system 
uh, without having to rewrite everything in Svelte. Uh, and so I also seem to recall that unlike some of the other frameworks, or unlike most of the other frameworks, Svelte has animations built in as a first-class citizen or something along these lines. That's true, yes. Absolutely. No, yeah, it's Svelte. And it's it's great because of the, compile, the way that it compiles. If you don't use animation, well, it doesn't get included in your bundle. And when you do, it'll include only what you're actually using. So it still stays small, but they're allowed to, or, or they're able to, sorry, include animations right within this framework because, you know, they don't have to worry about the bundle size getting too big, if that makes sense. Cool. Yeah, it does. Yep. All right. Well, we're kind of getting toward the end of our time. So I am going to push us more toward the the final segments of the show. Now, one that we did add, and I may have jumped the gun a little bit on this, is the self-promotion uh, segment. Um, and uh, this is something we added recently. I'm probably going to stop disclaimering it after this and saying this is something we added recently because we added it like a month or so ago. Um, one of our hosts on Adventures in Angular, he's like, I have something I just want to tell people I'm doing every week. And I'm like, hey, that's a great idea. Let's let everybody do that. So, Dan, what are you working on that you want people to know about this week? Well, I'm, I'm working on my conference schedule for this year. Uh, you know, uh, start making sure that I get to travel <laughs> in 23, as well, at least as well as I did in 22. Uh, uh-huh. And uh, so I've, I've, I'm happy to say that I've already got uh, two conferences scheduled. Uh, one is IJS in, in London in April. And the other one is uh, JS Nation in Amsterdam in, in June. Uh, and both of them, by the way, have amazing lineups. But uh, regardless, if anybody wants to see me and, and meet me and speak with me and, you know, just attend one of these conferences and you'll see me there. Uh, and also, if um, anybody has other interesting conferences that I should know about and maybe apply, apply to apply for, let me know, you know, tweet at me or DM me. And uh, because I'm always looking for uh, interesting conferences to attend in interesting places and meet interesting people. Uh, I love the conferences environments. I'm really, really happy that uh, conference, that live conferences are, 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 you know, back to being a thing and that we're not just doing everything online. It's, it's, you know, I really love the, the personal engagement, um, Web Directions the Summit in Sydney, for example, was was awesome. I really, really enjoyed that that uh, that one. Um, so, so yeah, so that's one thing. The other is uh, I'm basically also at work trying to build my kind of a uh, roadmap for for this year, trying to figure out where uh, our most significant performance bottlenecks are, both on the front end and on the back end, and. Uh, you know, that basically means uh, interfacing with a lot of the different teams within the organizations, figuring out what they're working on, what problems they're facing, you know, where I can work with them on that. It's it's interesting. You know, it gives me a really uh, high level view of, and also a low level view of all the technical stuff that's taking place in the, in the company, which is which is really nice. And I really enjoy that. So, you know, those are the things that I'm doing. Awesome. AJ, what are you working on that people should know about? Uh, one of the things that I just worked on was a a utility for DuckDNS. So DuckDNS is a dynamic DNS service that's free. And I created this tool partially because I wanted it, although I'd already built it, so it wasn't really for that. 
but I wanted to use it as a project for Beyond Code Bootcamp. And um, I'm actually now working on a POSIX scripting course. So I'm, I'm actively working on that. And this is kind of the project that will be the suggested final project for that mini course. If you have learned your POSIX scripting well, then you would be able to build this, this tool and it's got subcommands and I'm, uh, I didn't actually add any flags to it, but I guess I could add a flag just for the sake of adding a flag anyway, but it's, it's, uh, I would say it's the best tool out there for duck DNS because it will also, if you run duck DNS and SH enable, it will either install it as a boot service or as a login service, depending on whether you're on Linux or Mac OS. And I may also do it in PowerShell as well. I have a book to learn PowerShell because I think that it is important to get some basic tools out there for Windows people. And I think that this is a good scope of project to learn some PowerShell in. So that's 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 what I'd say I'm working on. And that is at the Beyond Code Bootcamp GitHub. It's called duckdns.sh. And there's also a three-part live stream where you can watch me build it in its entirety other than two typo fixes that I did off stream. Cool. Um, I'm just going to jump in here, I guess, with the stuff that I'm working on. Um, we are getting ready to do the next book in the book club. So we're finishing up clean architecture. Um, Uncle Bob has been on like half of the calls and it's, it's been like me and like two or three other people on this one, just cause we just launched. And so it's been fun. We've just, been talking through architecture and architecture ideas has been amazing uh the next book that we're doing is going to be on something around uh deployment docker kubernetes kind of stuff um it's kind of what the folks in the book club wanted to do next so that's that's where we're going to head um i have a couple of books that i'm looking at so we'll see what we pick up there but you can go sign up at topendevs.com slash book club and then yeah, is the award piece well, it's a dev book club, so <laughs> maybe next month or maybe the month after. Anyway, but yeah, so that's that. That's kind of the big thing that I'm looking at at this point. Um, Tracy, what are you working on that people should know about? Well, my God, I feel like so many exciting things. Um, we are launching a podcast called uh, Build It Better. It's a podcast on architecture. Um so that'll be fun, really fun, like deep dives. It's myself, Ben Lash, um, Adam, uh, who's on the call right now, and uh, another person, Jesse. And uh, yeah, if you just want to like learn about architecture and kind of talk about it and deep dive into like different open source projects, that's been really fun. And besides that, just really focused on like um, doing more in open source, um, like adding more starter kits. This is like really good for greenfield projects, right? But starter.dev and adding new technologies and different kind of like kits that people can use. And then framework.dev trying to just like get more, more visibility and like more, I mean, you know how I am. I'm like always about like connecting people and like trying to figure out how to help people. So mm -hmm. those have been my things. Awesome. How about you, Adam? Well, uh, as we already mentioned, I've been working on a workshops to help people learn Svelte and SvelteKit and get up to speed quickly. And so you could probably check those out at this.co. Um, uh, 
And I'm too, I'll be speaking at a conference in February. I'm not sure when this this will air called Confu in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Um, it's probably the biggest uh, conference I know of, at least in Canada. Uh, it's super awesome. And I'll be talking about uh, micro front ends and uh, X state and stately. Um, uh, so if you want to come check those out, come meet me there at Confu. Cool. Cool. Uh, unfortunately, I'm missing that one. Uh, a bit cold, we'll though, isn't it? Down. Eh, it's cold. Actually, February is pretty cold, even in Montreal. <laughs> um, uh, I can't deny. But, uh, you know, it's downtown Montreal. And cool thing about downtown Montreal is you can go shopping, you can go to a movie, you can go to restaurants without ever leaving the building, which is awesome. Because there's this whole underground <laughs> it's like city all there. underground. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's amazing, downtown Montreal. Definitely Montreal is the most boring part of Montreal, though. <laughs> I, I think in Montreal it's froid, not cold. Foie. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, uh, one more question, then we'll do picks. Uh, Tracy, how do people find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Lady Leet, or you can always find me on email, Tracy at this.co. Awesome. How about you, Adam? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Adam L. Barrett, two R's, two T's in Barrett. Or you can find me on Mastodon at uh, BigAB at techhub.social. Awesome. All right, let's do some picks. Uh, Dan, do you want to start some picks? Yeah, I actually have a couple of picks uh, this time around. So since we've been talking about Svelte, uh, I have to pick the uh, Svelte Origins documentary. Uh, that uh, came out, what was it, like six months ago? Um, it, if you're really interested in the story of how Svelte came to be uh, and the people who made it the way it is, in particular, obviously, Rich Harris, an amazing guy, by the way. I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm happy to say that I got a chance to meet him in person and, and speak with him. Uh, it, really worthwhile this documentary and uh, you can find it I'll, you know we'll post the link but just uh, you know search on YouTube for Svelte Origins and you'll find it so that would be my first pick uh, my second pick we have to mention this we probably should make a show about this but uh, the state mm-hmm. of uh, JS uh, 2022 has finally come out I know that all the podcasts uh, are talking about it so I don't know if, uh, you know, if we can say anything new, but it's still really interesting, a lot of interesting information there. Uh, one thing that's kind of disappointing is if you look in the demographics section and uh, you look at uh, the gender breakdown, it's like really disappointing. Like uh, only of all the people who responded to the uh, survey, only 4% identify themselves as women. Uh, and uh, that's way low. Uh, I I hope that it's because for some reason women just didn't participate in the survey and that it's not really reflective of our industry. All I can say is that every company that I've worked at always had a significantly higher ratio of, of women working there, or maybe I'm just lucky, but I'm hoping that's not the case. Um, you know, Dan, the the women who responded to the plumber survey, it was even lower than 4%. And I think we need to make a big ad campaign about that. Well, look, uh, that's a different discussion. I'm, I, you know, I'm not saying what can or should be done. I'm just saying that I, I'm hoping that the numbers should 
you know, will be higher. And I think that it should be higher. Uh, by the way, I saw a really amusing video that said he'll, he'll explain the uh, gender salary gap and justify it in like 10 seconds. And he said that's because men pick high-paying jobs like lawyer, engineer, and doctor, while women consciously choose lower-paying jobs like female doctor, female lawyer, and female engineer. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> anyway. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway. Oh, yeah, it was really tongue-in-cheek. Um, but, um, but that, anyway, the, the survey would be my second pick. And uh, a third pick is we're watching uh, uh, this show on TV, actually on um, uh, uh, Amazon Prime, which I'm really enjoying, called Sneaky Pete. It's a, uh, it's a show that had three seasons. It's already ended. It ran from 2015 to 2019. Uh, we're enjoying it a lot. It's not Breaking Bad, even though Brian Cranston is actually one of the creators of the show and actually participated in season number one. But uh, it's still a pretty good show, and we're really enjoying it. So that would be my second pick. If you haven't watched it, you've got three seasons ahead of you. Uh, and um, Oh, yeah. I also wanted to pick, AJ, that short video you created on We Hate Perfect Things. I thought it was, it was really insightful and I, and I enjoyed uh, watching it. Uh, so thanks for that. Uh, and my, You're welcome. And my final pick is, of course, the, the same pick that I pick every, each and every time, which is the ongoing war in Ukraine kind of uh, not talked about in the news anymore because, you know, who talks about something that's been going on for almost a year? I mean, it's, you know, it's not news anymore, but it's definitely still going on. It's definitely still a lot of suffering and death and, and, and whatnot. And like I always say, you know, anything that we can do to help the people in Ukraine, then we definitely should. And that would be my final pick. And, you know, over to you. All right, AJ picks. Okay, now I'm unmuted again. Uh, so there's one thing I'm particularly excited about. It happened a little bit later than I thought it would by about two years, which maybe is accounted for with Corona and chip shortages and whatnot. But... Not only is there a micro SD card that is one terabyte that's available on Amazon, that's old news. You could get that four years ago. Silicon Power was the first manufacturer to produce it. And so Silicon Power happens to be my favorite manufacturer for all things flash memory because they're the only ones that actually consistently deliver the same performance. You, you have guaranteed if you ever work with USB drives or, you know, SSDs or whatever, you know, it's they, it's almost like the ones that get picked for SanDisk reviews are cherry picked because when you actually buy a SanDisk, it doesn't actually work as advertised. Anyway, so it's it's under $100. So one terabyte micro SD has gone under $100. And I think that that is awesome. Um, dear Apple, why does it cost $4,000 to upgrade to an eight terabyte SSD? Couldn't I just get eight of the $100 ones? And... Ugh. But I am, yeah, I'm really excited uh, to see that 
this we kind of reached, I think, the end of the rotational drive. I think that we've maxed out at 20 terabytes. I don't think that we're ever going to see a rotational drive get beyond 30 terabytes. Uh, I, I would be really, really surprised if that happens. I definitely, absolutely don't think that's physically possible to get to 100 terabytes. But 3D NAND has finally produced one terabyte micro SD. That means that uh, a 20 terabyte SSD is eventually going to be affordable. And that, I think, is going to be really interesting because then the cloud will no longer be necessary. We've had bandwidth for the last 20 years now, uh, you know, uh, broadband. And now broadband is about to meet terabytes of local storage. And I think that is going to be, that will be web three or web one plus. One, one dot plus. All right, cool. Um, I'm going to jump in with some picks. I always do a board game pick. Um, lately I've been doing card games. I'm going to pick a game called karma. Um, and this is a card game. Um, and my wife, it's funny, when we got married, we played a game that was like Karma, except it was called, we called it Idiot. <laughs> I don't know why it was called Idiot. But it's a relatively simple game. Board Game Geek weights it at 1, 1 1.00. Um, it, it has it slotted at 8+, plus. all my kids capable of playing it, my 7-year-old. Um, sometimes she needs a little bit of help reading the card but the gameplay is pretty simple. Effectively, what you do is you deal out nine cards to each player. Um, you put three face down before you look at them. You flip them face up, and then you put three face up, your three highest cards face up. And then um, you play, and you have to play a card that is equal to or higher than the card that's face up on the discard pile. Um, and if there's no discard pile, then you can play whatever you want. And then what's interesting is, is there are twists with the karma cards. And so there's a card that says the next person has to play a card that's five or lower or um, pull the bottom card off the bottom and put it on the top, right? So now people just have to beat that card instead of whatever was on the top or things like that. And the karma cards can be played at any time. And uh, the person to get rid of all, all of their cards. So you, you play and draw back up to three unless you have more than three, because if you can't beat the top card then you have to pick up the draw the discard pile and put it in your hand and uh once you're out of cards then you can start playing the six cards that are in front of you so you can play um the face up card if you or, or if you've uncovered the face down card you can or if you've uncovered all the face down cards you can play the face down card um and then again same rules so if you can't beat so if it's a 10 out there and you flip your card over and it's an eight, you have to pick up the discard pile because you couldn't beat it, right? And so you just play it until somebody is completely out of cards, including the cards in front of them. Um, and it's fun. And, you know, the the rounds take anywhere from 20 minutes to a half hour. Um, so it's pretty quick, pretty fun. You can play with like five players. Um, and so, yeah, I'm going to pick Karma. If you're just looking for a fun, fast game that you can play with your family, it's a terrific game. Um, other picks. So, um, I watched the first episode of 1923. That's one of the spinoffs of Yellowstone. It was so good. It was really good. It's funny because I've been enjoying Yellowstone. Of course, um, I don't have a, uh, apparently you have to pay right now to be able to watch Yellowstone season five on Amazon prime. So I'm just going to wait till the season's over, watch it on Peacock. Um, because we have a Peacock subscription that I've watched all the other seasons on. So, um, 
I have to say, I've enjoyed the spinoffs, right? The the mini series. I've enjoyed those more than the actual series, even though I've really enjoyed the actual series. So um, anyway, this one has Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren in it. And uh, the, the, so far, it's good. So, of course, you can only watch the first episode again without paying, as far as I can tell. But I, I really like that. So I'm going to pick that. Um, another thing that... Um, I've been doing lately is just getting my books done so that I can file my taxes. I've been using zero X E R O. I think I might've picked this last time. Anyway, it's, it's a lot easier for me to use in QuickBooks. So I'm, I'm picking that. And then, um, I think, I think that's it. I think, uh, well, every time I see this dot, I always think of TriDot, which is the, the system I'm using to train for my triathlon. So I'm going to pick them too, just cause, um <laughs> Tracy, what are your picks? Um well, I'm really excited about it's so funny cuz uh every every year I'm like what am I going to do to change the world? And um, <laughs> truly I do. Um, but, you know, small steps. So we actually have this like woman in tech monthly mentoring that happens every single month. Um and uh the next one is uh well, this Wednesday. So it's like an hour where like women get together and chat and things like that. But we also have a lot of these like state of events that we do. So state of react ecosystem is coming up very soon. Um, and in about a month, we're actually going to be doing state of web performance too. Oh, So Dan, I dropped you a note. Yeah. So we should definitely chat via Twitter and like, just, you know, talk more about web perf stuff because the web perf community is so small, you know, it's like, we need more people talking about web performance. Yeah. Um, Although it's it's become so the, a topic du jour. I mean, like uh, all, all of the conferences want to have a, at least one web performance uh, talk in them, which I which I guess is really good for me. Uh, yes. But uh, but yeah. By the way, in the context of women in tech, are you in co- in contact with the amazing Moran Weber? Um, I don't think so, but I'm happy to. You know, if you drop me a note, I'm. I love introductions. So. Yeah, I, I have to. If you're not, I have to make an introduction between you two. She, by the way, she was a guest on our podcast like a few years ago, uh, and and she's amazing. She runs uh, women she's on. Awesome. Yeah, she runs women on stage. Uh, she like trains uh, women to speak at conferences and and meetups and stuff like that. It's it's really great what she does. Did you have any other picks, Tracy? No, those are all my picks. All right, Adam, what are your picks? Uh, I would say for a tech pick, I know I'm kind of late to this party and everybody already knows about this, but Zod is like blowing my mind how awesome it is. Check out the library, Zod. Um, Just the idea of like parsing instead of validating is just amazing and it's just like changed the way I work. Um, And then for a board game pick, I would say... Wait, wait, what is it? Oh, sorry, back to Zod. Zod. Yeah, tell me more. Tell you more. Person okay, well, validating. What is Zod? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So Zod is this library. It's very cool. Uh, is it's like a validator library. You sort of set up your schemas. You're like, oh, this is what my object's going to look like, and then you get a function that'll validate it for you. But it doesn't validate it. What it actually does is it parses it. So you're getting data in, and it's like you know a JavaScript, a JSON object or something, and then the object that comes out is like the schema you set so it won't have extra data it'll it'll make sure all the types are validated everything will be correct or it throws and it's just this small change of like oh that's a really good way of doing it so you can always ensure that whatever whatever has gone through zod uh is now 
correctly typed. And so everywhere where you're taking input either from a server or from a user or whatever, you can ensure that it's of the right type before it gets into your system. And then in your system, you can just, oh yeah, this is absolutely the right type. It's not going to have extra properties. It's not going to do unusual things. And you can be extra type safe because of it. As long as all your outside areas, you know, all the outside of your app where data is coming in in any way is covered by Zod. And I love so, it. What am I to understand? Instead of json.parse, you're doing zod.parse. Is that that's correct? Okay, that's cool. correct. And so you would, and, probably... and, you, and well, and it wouldn't be zod.parse as much as it would be you create a schema with zod. So you'd say, Zod, this is a object that's going to have a string. Uh, you know, this property is going to be a string. This property is going to be a, a, one of these things. You know, there's all sorts of different making of a schema. And then you have a schema that says, Hey, this, you know, my, my user, user.parse, and then you throw some, you know, random JSON into it, and it either throws or it gives you back, yes, this is a user, there's your user object, and it follows all the conventions. And then you can also extract your types from it. So you can just be like, okay, this Zod type of the schema you gave it, like in this case, the user schema, and now you've got a type that is your user type that you can use anywhere. And it's awesome. That's Check it out. A, that sounds cool. Thanks. Yeah. It's really good. And then for board games, I would say Frosthaven. Um, Frosthaven is the couple sequels i guess to uh gloomhaven it's basically gloomhaven oh, okay. enhanced now um gloomhaven is a board game that is massive massive both physically and uh the scope of time you'll need to play it and it's a campaign game sort of like a dungeon crawler but it's a lot more puzzly uh movement based with cards and stuff it's fantastic there's a digital version of gloomhaven um which you can get on steam and everywhere else i'm sure um, Frosthaven is basically the newest one. I haven't actually played it yet. I have only opened it and looked at it fondly. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's but, mine. Uh, from what I hear, it's, it's mine. Everything you want it to be. It's Gloomhaven and just a little bit better in every way. I I haven't played Gloomhaven yet. That's one that I definitely want to pick up. But yeah, uh, Frosthaven came out last year. I'm I'm just reading the info on Board Game Geek, and I'll put a link to the Board Game Geek. It's a weight of 3.86, which means it's somewhat complex. Um, but yeah, a, a lot of my friends who like D&D, but basically didn't have time to find a dungeon master to design them a campaign, they really enjoyed Gloomhaven. So yeah, it's, it's like it's a boxed uh, D&D sort of thing? Sort more of, yeah. Less. Uh, less less role playing and more board game. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's a good way to think of it. It's it's you go on adventure, you make a party, they go on adventures, they go in dungeons and stuff. So yeah, very much like that, but no real role playing, just a board game. Mostly. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, you don't you don't have to invent a character and play a part as much. Hmm. So cool. Well, thanks for coming, Adam. Um, Tracy already bowed out. I guess she had somewhere else to be. We did go over. So, um, but yeah, thanks. This was awesome. And until next time, everybody, Max out. Bye. Bye.